beginning with verse 1. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in the time of trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though the waters thereof roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof, Selah. I want to speak to you for just a few moments this morning on this subject. A friend for the weary. A friend for the weary. Everybody say thank God for the word. Thank you for standing and you may be seated. There are some old hymns that have been written through the years that have amazing messages. Some have carried many people through some very difficult and trying times. And not only is the message of the old hymn inspiring and encouraging, but the circumstance that inspired the songwriter is amazing in and of itself. One particular hymn was written by Ann Steele. She is probably one of the most prevalent, one of the most popular hymn writers uh, that's ever lived. Uh, I found an excellent biography written about her by Kevin Twitt, who is one of the leaders of a band called Indelible Grace. Uh, Anne was born in in Broughton, where her father, who was a uh, timber merchant, uh, Anne lived in England from 1716 to uh, 1778, and uh, again born in Broughton, England, where her father, who was a timber merchant, preached for some 60 years, most of the time, without receiving any compensation. Uh, She actually lived only 15 miles from the great Isaac Watts, although it's unlikely that they ever met. Anne's mother died when Anne was three years old, and when she was 19, she suffered a severe injury to her hip, rendering her an invalid for the most of her life. When she was 21, she was engaged to Robert Ellscourt, But the day before the wedding, he was drowned while swimming in a river. She never was married, and she assisted her father in his pastoral labors her whole life. Although for the last nine years of her life, she was never able to leave her bed. Still, in spite of all of this, her disposition was described as cheerful and helpful, and her life as one of unaffected humility, warm benevolence, sincere friendship, and genuine devotion. Anne wrote 144 hymns as well as 34 psalms in verse. Amos Wells, writing in 1914, said that she was the first woman writer whose hymns came to be largely used in church hymn books. He describes her hymns as very simple, clear, and beautiful, breathing, a spirit of Christian faith and resignation. 200 years ago, her hymns were very popular. In 1808, a church in Boston published its own hymnal. And out of the 152 hymns in the volume that they published, 59 were written by Ann Steele. Uh, And out of 152 uh, of those hymns, Ann Steele had such prominent influence and the uh, inspiration and so on behind the publishing of that hymnal. Uh, Henry Barrage said 
that over 100 of her hymns can be found in modern hymnals even today. More than any other hymn writer that's ever written. He says that her hymns written were written to lighten her own burdens, give beautiful expressions to the sweetness of her Christian character and the depth of her Christian experience. Her hymns are so rich and yet easily understood even by those living some 250 years plus after her passing. The hymn that I will bring to your attention today I doubt today if this is an average uh, church crowd. Probably most of you have not even heard it. But uh, it is so applicable to what I want to preach to you today. Uh, it is titled, The Dear Refuge of My Weary Soul. It says, Dear Refuge of My Weary Soul, On Thee when sorrows rise, On Thee when waves of trouble roll, My fainting hope relies. To Thee I tell each rising grief, for thou alone can heal. Thy word can bring a sweet relief for every pain I feel. But oh, when doubts prevail, I fear to call thee mine. The springs of comfort seem to fail and all my hopes decline. Yet precious God, where shall I flee? Thou art my only trust and still my soul would cleave to thee though prostrate in the dust. Hast thou not bid me seek thy face, and shall I seek in vain? And can the ear of sovereign grace be deaf when I complain? No, still the ear of sovereign grace attends the mourner's prayer. Oh, may I ever find excess to breathe my sorrows there. The mercy seat is open still. Here let my soul retreat. With humble hope attend thy will and wait beneath thy feet. I want to speak to you for a little while today. We live in a very cruel and seemingly very unmerciful society. Sin has taken its toll on the lives of people. It's taken its toll on homes and marriages and kids. I want every person here today to know, and I'm not going to elaborate much on that point, but I want everybody in the house to know, whether you believe it or not, whether you've ever experienced it or not or felt it or not, there is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother, and his name is Jesus. And I want to do my best here today to introduce every person sitting in the house to a man named Jesus that experienced a lot of horrible things himself and became weary with life on occasions himself, but he persevered and he came not show us how cruel life can be but he came that we might have life and that we might have it more abundantly God can give to you a better hope than you've ever had a greater promise than you've ever experienced God can minister to you in greater capacities than you've ever experienced or can learn and was one who learned to live with the painful limitations that life had placed on her. From the death of her mother, the poverty of her father's house, the painful injury to her hip, and the terrible loss of the love of her life. All of these things had the capacity to shape her life into a person that was willing to accept 
the friendship that only the Lord Jesus Christ could give and could provide. I'm not preaching to you a fairy tale. I'm not preaching to you a fantasy here today. I've experienced it all of my life for a long time. And there's a host of witnesses here today that will tell you that when I engage Jesus as my friend, it is the best thing, it was the best moment that ever happened in my life. Somebody clap your hands and shout, yeah! Regular people, average people, normal people need from time to time supernatural help. I think everyone here today would agree with that statement. It doesn't matter how comfortable you are in life right now. Tomorrow may bring something that you're going to need, supernatural intervention. If you expected never to have difficulties, even after you came to Christ, you're going to be one sadly mistaken person. Trial and tribulation and difficulty seem to be the very lot in life that some regularly have to bear in this life. All of us are acquainted with burdensome times, discouraging times, and times that you don't understand. All you have to do is move through the Psalms and you will find that there is much difficulty and there are many burdens that have been carried by those that have written the Psalms. Some of God's greatest people that ever lived has had to carry some of the most difficult burdens. If you take a look at some of the Psalms, Psalm 7, Psalm 10, 13, 16, 17, Psalm 22, 25, 28, Psalm 40, Psalm 42, Psalm 51 are all psalms that are written from a burdened heart, from a weary spirit, from a tired mind, from a life that's filled with fatigue and despair. If you look through these psalms, you will have a look at the troubled souls of mankind, the weary that need supernatural intervention, those that thought life was going to be okay, that marriage was going to be perfect and kids would never bring any trouble. To those who think that health would be good until you die, you realize when you put all of these things together that every person sitting in the house today has experienced something along these lines, no doubt. Normal, average, everyday people sometimes need supernatural help. Sometimes there's an attack from a giant of despair. Sometimes there's doubt that crowds our heart. Sometimes there's lies that's being spread about us. Sometimes there's prominent, proud, wicked people who want to take their vengeance and their toll out on the people of God. Sometimes there's strongholds that will overwhelm us. Sometimes there's an attack of stealing silence that will provoke us. Sometimes there's fear that paralyzes our faith. Sometimes there's dryness that chokes our prayers and it hinders our worship. Sometimes there's sickness that flattens out our energy. And sometimes there's just an all-out attack from barbaric and uncouth spirits. I'm here to preach to this crowd of people today that every person sitting in the house if you've not experienced it yet one day you will you're going to need a supernatural intervention in your life
when the psalm writers felt overwhelmed by life, the Lord in His great grace instructed that their struggles were written for our instruction and for our admonition. Let me give you a little background for a few moments today on Psalm 46. The, back, the background of this particular psalm is, is difficult to really know because it's, it, it wasn't explicit enough to give us the circumstance which caused it to be written. But many scholars speculate that this psalm had its origin when Sennacherib was about to attack Jerusalem. This would have been a time of incredible terror for Jerusalem who was going to be attacked by an army of 185,000 men. They would be overwhelmed. Jerusalem would be completely destroyed and the inhabitants of Jerusalem was terrified. This particular psalm can be broken up into three parts. The way that you can note the division is by the little word Selah. Everybody say Selah. Selah is a musical term and it means to either repeat or to stop and pause to think and meditate on what has just been written. So in verses 1 through 3, it's a help in time of trouble. In verses 4 through 7, it's a comfort in time of trouble. And then in verses 8 through 11, it's deliverance from trouble. Another word that can give us some insight into the way that it was to be sung is the little word in the superscription that states it's a song for Alamoth. A song for Alamoth. This means that it was to be sung with high notes that only women could sing. It was to be sung as an anthem by a female choir. They were to bring it to a place of great worship when they expressed that God was a refuge to them, that God is my refuge and strength, an ever-present help in the time of trouble. I want to say it again. They wrote and sang, God is my refuge and strength and ever-present help in the time of trouble. Can I get a witness today? Is there anyone here that has found that God is an ever-present help in the time of trouble? Clap your hands, everyone, and shout yes. There are other similar passages that give the same thought that God is indeed going to shelter those who serve Him despite being placed in a situation of danger. In Deuteronomy chapter 33 and verse 27, the Bible said, The eternal God is my refuge, and underneath are the everlasting arms. Hallelujah to God. The psalmist said in Psalm 27 and verse 5, For in the time of trouble he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret of his tabernacle shall he hide me, and he shall set me up 
upon a rock. Hallelujah to God. In Psalm 31 and verse 20, the Bible said, Thou shalt hide them in the secret of thy presence from the pride of man, and thou shalt keep them secretly in a pavilion from the strife of tongues. The psalmist said in Psalm 71 verse 3, Be thou my strong habitation, whereunto I may continually resort, that thou, thou hast given commandment to save me, for thou art my rock and my fortress. The wise man said in Proverbs chapter 18 and verse 10, The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous runneth into it and are saved. Isaiah 25 and verse 4 says, For thou hast been a strength to the poor, a strength to the needy in his distress, a refuge from the storm, a shadow from the heat, when the blast of the terrible ones is as a storm against the wall. I want to submit to you here today with everything on the inside of me. If you have not engaged a friendship with God Almighty, if you have yet to reach a point where you can truly call God your friend, your life has not yet been fulfilled to its fullest extent and to its greatest capacity. Everybody here today must know and needs to know who Jesus is for he is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. And if you're going through times of difficulty and hardship and you're confused and you don't know about tomorrow, let me introduce you to him. You say, well, why do I need a refuge? Why do we need a refuge? The answer to that question is answered in the content of the psalm itself. Number one, because of trouble. You need a refuge because trouble is always on the horizon. I'm not trying to sound like a doomsdayer here today, but I am trying to be real. Everyone, great and small, rich and poor, one day is going to need a supernatural intervention in your life. On some level, you're going to need God. Everybody say amen. Let me have just a moment of fun with you. I usually ask you to say yes. But this morning, can you just say yes? Thank you. The second reason you need a refuge is because of the instability of life. It's not predictable. There's people sitting in this congregation today in a position, in a circumstance, in a situation that they'd have never dreamed a year ago they'd be in. There's people sitting here today that even three months ago that had never dreamed that life would have brought to them what life has brought to them recently. Every person here today eventually is going to have to have a supernatural intervention. Everybody shout, yes. The third reason is because the psalmist said in verse 2 of upheaval, there's going to be tumultuous times. There's going to be times beyond your control. I want to submit to you today that there's just some things, as one company advertises, that money cannot buy. Security can't provide. 
education can't figure out. There's just some things that enough learning and teaching will never prepare you for the upheaval. There's always seems to be in life a situation that goes beyond your wisdom, that goes beyond your experience, that goes beyond your know-how, and in all due respect even goes beyond your own education. As a matter of fact, I've seen it through the years in pastoring that people that have been educated in a certain field of knowledge will have something come to their home, their family, their children, etc. In that field of expertise, but the nature of their problem was never taught in the classroom. It was never written about in a book. And it takes them by surprise. And they often feel helpless and, and, and non-sufficient to be able to reach out to their own family in the area of their own expertise. They're limited and they realize that I haven't learned as much as I thought I have. I submit to you again, every person in this building, before your life is over, you're going to need supernatural intervention. Because of the threat of roaring troubled waters, I have a feeling that most everyone, even the strongest of muscle, the stoutest of mind, have had moments when they were overwhelmed with the attack of something in life that they thought was going to destroy them. Is there anybody here today that was faced with a bill that you couldn't pay, grades you couldn't make, expectations you couldn't live up to, people that you can't please, weaknesses you can't resist, a job you can't escape from, a past you'll never forget, a future that you hope you never have to face. It's during those times that you need a refuge. The longer you live, the more you will discover that your strength isn't going to get the job done. You will need supernatural intervention. The writer said, our faith is not for an hour or a day. It is to be our mainstay through life and in the hour of death. It is meant to be steady and to strengthen us in every calamity, however sad, and in every crisis, however sudden. Faith was something given to you through supernatural creativity. The Bible said that God has imparted unto every man a measure of faith. That faith is to connect you to God. That faith was given to you so that you, yourself, no matter what you've been taught, no matter how you've been raised, no matter who your mom and daddy was, no matter what they said, no matter how they lived, you were given a measure of faith so that you as an individual could become a personal friend of God. Three times in Psalm 46, the word refuge appears. In verse 1, verse 7, and verse 11, the word is written. But the word for in verse 1 is a different, has a different meaning than the word in the other two. In verse 1, the word signifies a high place or a high tower. 
It is a place to retreat beyond the reach of foes. But when you get to verses 7 and 11, the word changes to indicate a high cliff or a place in the rock to hide in. Verse 1 gives to us a place of trust, while verses 7 and 11 provide for us a place of safety. I'm preaching today a friend for the weary soul. And if you'll engage God at a level of friendship with you that He desires, He will automatically provide for you a place of trust and a place of safety. Consider the ways that God works these areas in our life. In times of sickness and weakness, He is our healer. In times of fear, He is an everlasting arm to lean on. In times of anxious worry, He's a wise counselor. In times of danger, He's our support. In times of sorrow, He's our comfort. In times of sin, He's a voice of forgiveness that sums up the work of God who is a refuge in times of difficulty. He is a refuge for the weary soul. Think again of the verse that Ann Steele wrote in the 1800s. Hast thou not bid me seek thy face, and shall I seek in vain? I can the ear of sovereign grace be deaf when I complain. No, still the ear of sovereign grace attends the mourner's prayer. Oh, may I ever find access to breathe my sorrows there. It's always a place that you can lean on. A friend for the weary soul. Let me have you know where the refuge is. You may ask, where is that refuge, Pastor? In Psalm 46, in verse 1, it tells us that first of all, that place of refuge actually exists in its greatest capacity in times of trouble. Get your head around that. You don't need a refuge, per se, when everything is going fine. Brother John Smith here this morning, the gentleman that played the bass guitar, they have a family member And I do not wish to patronize them in any way, shape, or form, but I want to show you how cruel life can be sometimes. I believe it's Brother Danny's first cousin, his grandchild. They found her 15 months old, drowned in a ditch about two weeks ago. That's when the refuge shows up. You hear me? That's when the refuge shows up. In times. ever-present help in times of trouble. Last Sunday morning, Sister Joanne Swallow, who's been suffering with cancer for a number of years, was up here dancing around the front of this building, facing a very, very difficult procedure in her near future. But she has said over and over and over, Every time I face something critical with cancer, God gives me peace. Why? Because he is an ever-present help in time of trouble. So where is that refuge, Pastor? 
How great is your trouble? How great is the conflict? That's what Jesus said. Jesus said, I will never leave you and I'll never forsake you. The Hebrew word for very present help actually means greatly found. It's not very far from any of us. You don't have to seek very far. And it's not difficult to find because when you embrace God as your friend, the moment you're in trouble, he's there. You don't have to go anywhere to look. When you're in trouble, he comes to you. I want to illustrate this point today in conclusion. There's a lot of things that the Bible said that I wish there was greater explanation for. <laughs> I wish I had more answers. But the Bible don't say. But I want to ask you this question. The Bible said very clearly about the three Hebrew boys that the people that threw them in the fiery furnace died as a result of it, but they didn't. Can you get your head around that? The people that threw them in the fire didn't get in the fire themselves, but it was so hot they died just getting close. These boys were in it, and it didn't hurt them. But here's my question. The king looked over and saw the three Hebrew boys, and he said, I see a fourth one there like unto the Son of Man. Looks like God's in the fire with them. What I find interesting, I don't know how hard it was to physically throw them in the fire, but I don't read in that scripture setting that once they were in the fire that they were in a hurry to get out of it. You know why? Now, I'm not inviting trouble to my doorstep, but I have learned through the years that my greatest moments of intimacy with God is when I was in the greatest trouble. And sometimes it just feels so good being around God. You want the trouble to hang around a while. That's an overstatement. I understand. But I hope you get the point. There was a moment in my life a number of years ago before all of this came to pass where I thought God had left me and kissed me goodbye and I was ready to throw in the towel and quit. I was going back to an old career job that I had and was just going to vacate the pulpit and God spanked me pretty bad for that excuse the expression but he did got my attention and I started just enveloping myself in the presence of God and I kind of reached a point where <laughs> this is pretty nice kind of like it when bad stuff happens it's an overstatement I'm just only illustrating the point to tell you and to communicate to you that if you're weary, and if life hasn't brought to you everything that it should, it can start getting real good right now. There's a friend of mine that I want you to meet. In the Old Testament, if you'll stand with me this morning. In the Old Testament, when God gave to Moses the law, the 600 plus commandments on Mount Sinai, do's and don'ts. 
One of those commandments said, thou shalt not kill, which even in our society today, which by the way, that includes yourself. People sometimes don't think of it that way. But still to this day, we think and believe that that's probably one of the grievous crimes that man can commit against each other is to take the life of another man. But you know in the law of Moses, when that commandment was given, thou shalt not kill, that when they finally reached their promised land, the land of Canaan, that God provided for them cities of refuge. That in case you killed a man, but it wasn't premeditated, it was an accident, but you're being falsely accused, you could run to one of those cities of refuge. And if I had time, it's in my notes, but... I could tell you what each one of those cities mean. But every one of them, just bottom line means that if you're being falsely accused, you did, you committed the deed, but people's perception of it is wrong, then there's a place you can run. And no one can hurt you as long as you're in that city of refuge. What I find interesting about the cities of refuge is one of the jobs of the priest that ministered in the, the tabernacle, their job was to make sure the roads leading into that city of refuge was kept free of debris. If a tree fell down across the road, they had to make sure someone moved it in case a runner, somebody running for their life, needed to get to the city of refuge, there would be no obstacles to prevent them coming. I want everyone in the building to know today, here at Grace, if you want to embrace God as a friend, there's no obstacles. There's no barriers. There's nothing that you have to do or not do to come to Him. You can come just like you are, and we've opened the road as wide as we can. We don't judge here. We don't look at people and say, oh, who are they and what are they doing? Oh, why did they mess up? There's a man here today that shared with me a testimony from a previous church setting. It wasn't Pentecostal. But he said he just felt just intimacy with God. He just wanted to come to the altar and love God. And he had a place of position at that church and whatnot. He's here today. I'll never forget what he said. He said, I went that night and I cried. and I, All I could do was cry and I just sobbed. And I was just trying to love God and I wanted more of him. He found out later that people were looking and staring and said, what did he do? What kind of sin did he fall into? I wonder if he cheated on his wife. I wonder if he robbed a bank. I wonder if he stole a car. What did he do? And all of these things that people think, we don't do that here. We keep the road clear. You say, Pastor, I don't believe it. Try it and see. Try it and see. You're in a place today. You're in a grace place. Friends, you're in a grace place. I've experienced the unmerited favor of God, and so can you. Do you want to be his friend? Do you want him to be your friend? You're in a place where that can begin, right here, right now. Everybody clap your hands and shout yes.
while they're singing and playing and we're standing all over the building, I want us to spend the last few moments. There's such an incredible crowd of people here today. We normally ask you to come up front, but I think it would get kind of confusing and people might feel a little uncomfortable. So I'm going to ask you to just stay right where you are unless you choose to do otherwise. If you want to come up front, you can. But while they're singing and playing, if you feel comfortable and if it's appropriate, just take the hand of the person standing next to you or put your hand on someone's shoulder and let's just spend a time in prayer for one another. And as we embrace the friendship of Almighty God here today, everybody in the house, everybody in the house, hallelujah, sing, hallelujah. I feel the presence of God. I feel the presence of God in the house today. If you want to experience a friendship with God, you're at the right place at the right time. You can engage God as your friend. There's people here today that's weary. You're tired of life as it is. You're tired of living the status quo. You're tired of the boredom. You're tired of the brokenness. Let me introduce you to Jesus. Let me introduce you to Jesus. There's some that's already come up around the front. If you want to join them, feel free to do so. Anybody in the house that wants to come forward and just come and worship, just come and worship, you're welcome to come. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, everybody. Let's reach heavenward for a few moments. Everybody reach heavenward right now. Would you throw your hands up in the air and let's worship the Lord. Oh, we'll see how great, how great, how great. Hallelujah. Come on, folks. All around the house this morning, people are praying. People are worshiping. If you want to know more about Jesus, you're welcome to come forward. We'll pray with you. We'll pray with you. We want to introduce you to our friend. His name is Jesus. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. He'll always be by your side. Hallelujah to God. Hallelujah to God. Hallelujah. Let's spend a few moments in worship all over the building, all over the house.